Hello, this is Champ180, and I'm your host, your helper and friend, Adam Childress. If you're listening and expecting a kumbaya session on what you want to hear, this may not be the show for you. We are committed to encouraging and developing champion-like individuals who desire to learn, grow, improve in the five core areas of champ. I'm real, transparent, and say what's on my mind with no fluff or puff. So listen up, because today is your day. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the Champ 180 podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and welcome back, Nita. Thank you. Today we're going to discuss the uh, 7 through 12 on the um, 12 steps of bonding. And this is what you said last week. This is more of the flesh. Mm-hmm. One flesh. One flesh. Mm-hmm. I look so forward to hearing that and I'm sure everybody else is. Uh, so let's head it off. So let us know what's uh, what's next. Okay. So just to um, summarize, to bring your listeners back, um, I'm going to run through the 12 steps again. So the first step is eye to body. Second is eye to eye. Third is voice to voice. Four is hand to hand. Five is hand to shoulder. Six is hand to waist. So that's what we studied. And I mean, that's what we reviewed when we were together last. And we talked a lot about the voice to voice aspect that goes all the way through uh, stages four, five, and six. So we ended with stage six, which was hand to waist. And um, I was talking about how um, this is when a couple is pulled together, you know, kind of hip to hip, but they're both, they're still shoulder to shoulder. They're still looking outwardly um, in public. So at this stage, first six, it's still a very public relationship. Um, and then you start moving into stages seven through 12, which stage seven is face to face. Stage eight is hand to head. Stage nine is hand to body. 10 is mouth to breast. 11 is hand to genital. 12 is genital to genital, which is one flesh according Mm -hmm. to scripture. And hopefully at this stage, if we've have a good bond, um, having been patient through all of this, we can and turn to this stage, quote-unquote, naked and unashamed, like mm-hmm. it says in the book of Genesis. Right. Okay, so going back to um, hand-to-waist, let me just give you um, a quick example. In the time that you and I were in the break between part one and part two, my mm-hmm. husband and I went to a concert. And um, the concert, it was full. The, the Every seat, it was sold out. Um, but it was a middle-aged crowd, which is the stage of life my husband and I are in. Mm-hmm. And so there were lots of ballads that the artist sang, which makes sense why this was a middle-aged crowd, because there were lots of couples. So there mm-hmm. were lots of married couples who double-dated, triple-dated, you know, I noticed. And as he would sing his love songs... I saw all these couples arm to waist. Nobody was sitting. Everyone was on their feet the entire two hours. It was wow. such a great concert. But I saw so much arm to waist, swaying together, pulling in tight. They were bonding. The music, the love song that maybe that they have enjoyed together in this public arena, 
They were renewing their bond with each other in a public arena as closely as possible. That's awesome. Pulled in totally tight, swaying and dancing with each other. And then when the song was over, they often would turn and be face to face, embrace, you know, quickly before the next song and give a kiss, Hmm. which is a great segue into stage seven, which is face to face. So um, face to face can be a number of different ways. But the biggest thing is you are now um, not shoulder to shoulder as you were in four, five and six. You are now um, face to face, which means full body hugs, um, which means for some people, for most people, um, kissing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also like a lot of gazing into one another's eyes, right? Yeah. So this is where the relationship becomes more private, Mm -hmm. you know, where people in public are go get a room, you know, because they can tell that through body language signals. Yeah. There's a lot going on here, you know, and it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to the public. So this is where the relationship starts moving into more of a private arena. So that's why at stage six, that's why if you're going to exit this relationship, this is the point of exit stage six, yeah, which makes, is going to create the least damage. Right. And that makes perfect sense mm-hmm. given some of the people I've known that are young mm-hmm. and they've dabbled in seven through 12, if not all the way and have broken hearts because of they went through all that. And it's, it's a shame and it's unfortunate. Yes. yes. And we have our own experiences too. Very. You know? Yeah. So this is where when you do get married, you know, you're bringing in a lot of baggage because you have bonded so intimately with other people before your marriage covenant. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, so number seven is face-to-face, which includes kissing. It's the rare couple who will not engage in kissing at this point. And again, as we talked in part one, we don't want to turn this into a formula. Mm, So it's okay to continue progressing towards stage 12 by allowing kissing. Um, Some people are more careful. careful. My husband was very circumspect with me when we were dating and we had determined at this place, you know, if we will kiss that first kiss will be at the altar. And so that was just a little commitment that he and I made to each other because we knew there were enough sparks between us. We knew if we start um, kissing, you know, we're, will we have the self-control? I don't know. So we were just being careful. But all, that's all. We were just being careful. We weren't setting up a rule, mm-hmm. right? So um, I just want to say that to assure everyone. If, you've, if you're listening and you've already been kissing, no foul, no harm. Mm-hmm. It's okay, right? Um but at this point, hopefully when you finished stage seven and went into this place of gazing into one another's eyes, of, um, of sitting so close that you're now knee to knee instead of hip to hip, you know, where you're much more private, 
hopefully in stage six, from so much voice to voice bonding, you have determined, man, you know, I hope that this is someone that I can spend the rest of my life with. I hope that this works out in that manner. Mm -hmm. And then we go to stage eight, which is hand to head. And that was, whoa, that was a surprise to find that hand to head. But if you really think about it, who do you let um, twirl your hair, rub your nose, pull on your ear, um, your parents? Uh, dads are really comfortable rubbing their son's head, you know. Mm-hmm. You did great, champ. You know, moms are, you know, they're nursing their children. They're stroking their child's ear. They're cho- stroking their child's jawline. Mm-hmm. Um, who else touches your head except your barber, your hairstylist? Or your siblings if they're uh, attacking you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Pulling your hair, tugging at your hair. But don't we say about hairstylists that they are the confessionals yes, in right. the world? You know, they hear everybody's secrets. Yeah. They know that, you know, after they've done your hair, if you're a client for uh, months and months and years and years, like the gal that I go to, she's been doing my hair for 15 years. So, yeah, she has an intimate knowledge of me. Because I disclose a lot sitting in the chair with her cutting my hair. Yes. What were you going to say? So if I need to find out what uh, my wife gets me for Christmas or a birthday, just start stroking her hair a couple of days before <laughs> she'll start opening up. I got you this. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not a magic genie. <laughs> but it is a way, you know, when you're feeling affectionate mm-hmm. towards your wife or she is to you. She's the only person that puts her, puts her hands on your head, correct? You know, it's funny you say that. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no. Um, it's a natural thing. Yeah. If she's having a hard day, I actually do stroke mm-hmm. my hand through her hair. Mm-hmm. And she loves that. And it just it gives that ease and that mm-hmm. comfort. Mm-hmm. And it's I don't mean to. It's mm-hmm. just that signal to right. know as a husband, you know, it's okay, honey. Mm-hmm. And by doing that? Like you said, it just intimately involves one another, each other, and we become vulnerable mm-hmm. to each other. That's mm-hmm. the way it should be. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? That is where we're trying to become, mm-hmm. naked and unashamed, vulnerable with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you able to weather her hard days, not to be uh, overwhelmed by them or um, impatient with them. But where she knows, oh, I had a terrible day. I can hardly wait to talk to my husband mm-hmm. and and um, get his perspective. Where that's soothing, where that's calming, where that's um, edifying. Even if you give a word such as, um, hey, I think this is on you, wife. I really think you need to step up. You know, whatever her hard day involved. Um, so it's not just soothing her, but also um, being able to be honest if you think that there's something that she needs to correct in this situation, you know, or just you are the only person who knows truly what your wife, what works best for your wife in terms of intimately helping her through a hard day. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that you say you just naturally um, reach out for her hair 
without thinking about it, it's not like you're going, uh, I think right now stage eight would be helpful for her, right? <laughs> right. Because we talked about this is a natural progression. It is. This is mm -hmm. way before I knew this either. Mm -hmm. Right. So you guys were operating in the natural mm -hmm. before you even know. And that's why this information is just so uh, inspiring to mm -hmm. me because, you know, it was an anthropologist, zoologist who observed the stages, but then when you line it up with Scripture and see how God reached out in relationship with us, you can see that um, this progression of bonding is the same way that God, you know, more or less bonded with us. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. It's true. And we are created in His image, right? Yes, we are. So, okay, so that's stage eight. Um, and then... Stage nine is hand to body. So at this point, I'm not talking about a gesture of sexual intimacy, but rather an indicator of acceptance of one another's flaws and all. So maybe he has a scar mm -hmm. and she is always touching the scar, mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, maybe she has some love handles that she hates but he's grabbing onto her love handles. He could care less, mm -hmm. you know? So, and then also there is the sexual component too mm -hmm. of number nine, which is hand to body. Okay. So then stages 10 through 12, um, mouth to breast, hand to genital, genital to genital. So we hope to get to stage 12 on the honeymoon night. Yes. Okay. How often does that happen in this day and age? Mm, not very often. I only know a handful. <laughs> Rarely, right? Yes. I mean, I remember when my husband and I were getting married, and we weren't young chickens. I mean, I think I was 30. Yeah, I was 30 when we got married. And um, one of my relatives saying to me, really in shock and not trying to make fun of me, but he was saying, how do you know if the shoe fits if you don't try it on? Mm -hmm. um, in or, reference to... Or test drive a car. Right. Exactly. Well, if you've walked your way through stages one through 11, you know the shoe's going to fit. You know, you don't have to try it on to see if it will fit. You already know the shoe fits. I know that some people may have their own meaning on what you mean by uh, see if the shoe fits. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of break that down. Okay, so he was saying, how do you know if you're going to be compatible sexually? Unless you try out first instead of waiting until the honeymoon to figure that out. So because there had been such a good bond between us, stages 1 through 11, by the time we hit 12, which is the honeymoon night, the way that I saw it is we have the rest of our lives to figure that part of our relationship out. We don't have to have it all figured out the honeymoon night. Right. But because there was such a great bond, 1 to 11, we could hardly wait for the honeymoon night. So it wasn't something that we were dreading or nervous about, which would happen often in arranged marriages. Mm -hmm. You know, you're basically entering into covenant without having much of a friendship first going immediately to stage 12 and now going backwards trying to establish stages 1 through 10 over a lifetime. Totally doable. Yeah. And um, has happened more times than less, you know, 
but in our case, um, what my relative was suggesting was you're making a mistake by not knowing for sure that you're sexually compatible before you get married. Tell me if I'm wrong, but okay. when people say, you know, you got to make sure your the shoe fits before you, you know, mm-hmm. what was that right? Test drive or however what lingo that people use. Mm-hmm. Make sure you guys are sexually compatible. Um, is that because what if you had somebody that never had any previous partners? Mm-hmm. The more partners they have, that I think that builds up a help me out here a experience experience that they can relate to compare to mm-hmm. because what if they don't compare to a they don't compare to d person they don't compare to sally so, from a couple years ago right but sally's not in your life anymore no <laughs> so why would you want to compare Understood. your wife to sally who's right. no longer in your life and I'm just being blunt with yes. the people that nowadays that w- they deal with and why they say that. I think if they didn't have any other partners, mm-hmm. they never went 7 through 12 on you know, mm-hmm. other relationships. I see what you're saying. There's nothing to compare to. Right. How do you know they're compatible? What difference does it make? <laughs> I'll if, make this compatible. <laughs> right. Because there's two ways now that to, to be compatible, 1 through 6. If you're not compatible in that... You may not be compatible 7 through 12. Mm. So if you're compatible and so in tune with each other 1 through 6, why would 7 through 12 make a big difference? Because 1 through 6 is your base. Mm-hmm. It's your foundation. Mm-hmm. You know. And so well, I'll just, you know what I mean? I'll just yes. tell people to be yes. quiet. I say, hey, it doesn't matter, bud. Mm-hmm. I love this person. Mm-hmm. We connected. We're in tune with 1 through 6 doesn't matter what does other people care mm-hmm. you know they feed us garbage about keeping us from pursuing something that's beautiful how many people you know what i'm saying how many things have have people have missed on certain other people or their relationship oh we gotta break up because my so-and-so told me well what if they're not compatible maybe we're not we'll mm-hmm. just end it right now mm-hmm. they'll never know well the the philosophy there or the mindset is you're free. You don't have to succumb to any traditional or old-fashioned rules about your sexuality outside of marriage. You don't have to be a slave to marriage in order to enjoy sexual expression. And that's the culture that we live in. And that's almost culture, you know, worldwide. Um, It's a tragedy in a way um, I've become aware of young, of young women, I don't mean teenagers, but I'm talking in their 20s, who are not sexually uh, experienced yet. They're still virgins, but they hope that they marry someone who has experience because they've been fed such a steady diet through media that sex is everything. Mm-hmm. And that sex is the representation of a good relationship. Mm -hmm. So wonderful sex is a representation of a good relationship. So they've now condensed it to the sexual act instead of everything that precedes it. So now these young women are hopeful that their husbands are experienced because they're worried 
what if we're just two innocent people in bed and we don't know what to do? I think that's the best. Right. Because like I said, you have a whole lifetime to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And when you're super comfortable with each other, you're not afraid to figure it out. You know, you're not embarrassed. You're not humiliated. You feel pretty free in trying things out, mm-hmm. quote unquote. So right. anyway, um, but the, because of that steady diet from the media, everything has gotten, the, the pressure has been put on the act mm. instead of all of the appetizers yeah. um, leading up to the act. Desserts. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So um, when it comes to stage 12, the most healthy uh, expression of it is going to be within the context of marriage. Even um, Desmond Morris, who observed all of these stages, totally a secular man, um, not aided by scripture, didn't have a Judeo-Christian worldview. Even he says that the healthiest expression of it is within marriage. Okay, so then let's explore that a little bit. Why is that the healthiest expression of it? Um, Because if you have the safety net of for better, for worse, and sickness and health until death do us part, then there is trust that has been earned. Okay, so you're not forced to just give away that trust and take a step of faith and hopefully this man is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. You've discovered steps one through 11 that this man is trustworthy. And now you're able to trust him in the ultimate expression of vulnerability, which is genital to genital, walking into in Genesis Adam and Eve became one, and they were naked and unashamed. Yeah, they were vulnerable. They didn't know what they were doing at first. Nobody taught them. Nope. It was a natural progression. No news, mm-hmm. no magazines, no TV. No steady nothing. diet from media. But they were created in the image of God, so God spoke it into their hearts. Mm-hmm. They knew what to do. And they were naked and unashamed. Okay, so um, a, a component that a lot of Christians miss is that marriage is covenant. Mm. Okay, so now we go a little bit into diving into covenant. Mm -hmm. So if you recall when covenant was made between God and Abraham, Abraham was instructed to take the ram from the bushes and cut the body in half and to separate the two halves so that there was a path between the two and to walk through that path. And these carcasses were, um, in a sense, a witness of the covenant. Okay, so there's a lot that is missed in the marriage ceremonies today that was always traditional, and there was a lot of symbolism that none of us understood. So when the couple walks down the aisle, it's really this side of the aisle um, the bride side, and then this side of the aisle, the groom's side. And by walking between it, it's as though it represents the animal sacrifice carcasses. So it represents that path between um, both sides of the church, 
the people in attendance, that path between represents covenant. Um, we used to put runners down that down the middle aisle because if you remember when Moses entered into covenant with God when he when he was given the law, God told him, "Take off your sandals. You are standing on holy ground." So when we walk down that runner, it's to signify we are walking on holy ground. We are entering into a covenant. And so when um, the pastor says, who gives this woman to be married? And the dad and mom say, we do. The dad and mom are covenanting, um, leave, cleave, become one, um, become one flesh. Okay, the mom and dad are covenanting. We are are purposing to um, leave so that this couple can now become one and we don't interfere. We take the role of assisting and guiding and supporting, but we don't interfere. She's no longer my child and he's no longer um, my little boy. These two are coming together to become one family and so now we provide thoughtful um, assistance and love and wisdom, but we're not running this family anymore. Okay. So then um, the pastor's exchange of vows, and then there's the ring. The ring is given, and the ring is a symbol um, from the husband that I am entering into a covenant with you. So the engagement ring um the the root of that word in gageo um means hope as in the sense of a deposit like uh we're looking to we're looking now to purchase a new home so there's earnest money mm-hmm. that we would put to say we are in we definitely are intending to buy this house so you know, once we get the funding and everything, we will follow through. And to prove it, here's our earnest money to prove that we want to follow through with purchasing this house. So that's that's kind of a, a word picture of engageo, which is the root word for engagement. Mm. So when my husband gave me an engagement ring, he was basically putting down a deposit, so to speak. I will return. I will return. There will be a marriage. And so um, he had to get his affairs in order, you know, to right. be able to provide for family or to do whatever he felt necessary to be a good husband. And then he returned and we got married. So at the altar, then he gave me the other part of that engagement ring, which was the wedding band. So in Gageo, which means hope in the sense of an earn, of earnest money. Our hope is in Christ's return, right? We're the bridegroom of Christ, the church is, and we are waiting for him to come back for that marriage ceremony, so to speak, in the sky where we're united with him, no longer with sin, no longer with the world, but one full worship full unadulterated worship in perfect fellowship with Christ and the Father. Mm -hmm. Total unity. Exactly. So that's what we are hoping for 
in marriage, stage 12 is total unity. Mm. So he, you've walked down the aisle, you've walked between two different um, sides of the guests. You've given the ring, you've exchanged vows, you've established the terms of the covenant for better, for worse, and sickness and health till death do us part. So now that the husband has covenanted to do that till death do us part, now he gets access to his wife. And when Christ died on the cross, providing access for us into the Father's presence, though we are in sin, um, we know that the veil in the in the temple was torn. Yes. The the veil between the public and the holy of holies. And so that that veil was torn. And in the same way, when the uh, pastor says, you may now kiss your bride, and he lifts her veil, he now has access into the Holy of Holies, that one covenant love with his wife. And so now we get to celebrate with stage 12, genital to genital, one flesh. Leave, cleave, become one. It's all happened. Culmination of it celebrated in this ceremony with the public watching. We will be witnesses with the Holy Spirit present because it is a covenant instead of just a marriage contract. Mm -hmm. um, and now the Holy of Holies, that's stage 12. So what if you don't have it figured out physically? I think you will figure mm -hmm. it out physically. Um, are there special cases where they need some professional help? Yep. Sometimes you have to go to a doctor. Sometimes you have to figure out, you know, um, for the woman it's painful. Why is it painful? We might have a hormonal imbalance, you know, or, or whatnot. But all these things can be figured out. And even in the absence of stage 12, there's still, because of the good bond between stages 1 to 11, there's still a good enough bond that we can um, still operate united, feeling united, even though stage 12 is not actually worked out. The kinks are not worked out yet. That being said, a marriage in which there isn't you know, fairly regular expression of stage 12, that's a painful marriage. So it is important if that isn't happening regularly, it is important to find out, um, is this a plumbing issue? You know, right. uh, is this a hormonal issue? Is this, you know, so much baggage that, you know, we need to unpack what is um, in the way? And these things can be worked through. I guess uh, there's a lot of variables for that because okay. last time you said, um, you know, when couples reach that age mm -hmm. where they no, no longer need that or do that anymore, mm -hmm. the intimacy. The aging process. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they rely on 
one through nine, one through eight, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're satisfied with that because you said they've had a whole lifetime of it by then. Right. (laughs) Then you say that uh, relationships can survive without stage 12, stage 12. Mm -hmm. They can survive. Yep. But you're, if you're in the, if you're in the youth part of your life, if you're in your twenties, thirties, forties, even your fifties, and there isn't regular expression of stage 12, um, my encouragement is go figure out why, mm-hmm. what's off. But if there's the bond where you're comfortable emotionally naked, yeah, then um, I think that there's enough of a, a foundation that you're willing to go get help to be to find help so that you can actively express stage 12 yes so now in marriages you know a lot of times there's a difference in appetite one of the um, spouses will want it more Mm -hmm. than the other Um, and then you know you get 15, 10, 15 years into your marriage and maybe resentment builds up there. Because they don't do anything about it. Um, because each of them are quietly in their own minds building up offenses and defenses True. regarding it. So let's just say the wife has more of an appetite and when she reaches out to her husband, he's saying, I got to go to work early in the morning, not tonight. Well, if that happens two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, the wife is going to feel rejected. Right. Right. I'm, I'm using the wife as an example because mm-hmm. we always pick on the guys and use them as an example. But Understood. the wife is going to feel rejected. Mm-hmm. And if she doesn't operate in naked and unashamed conversation with him and say is there something between us is there a reason why you're more tired than you used to be you know is there an offense between us that just hasn't been expressed and i need to make things right you know what is going on infidelity she can begin to think that, right? Yeah. So this is where I'm saying where you start having conversations in your own head about his or her behavior, and you come up with your own ideas mm-hmm. for why he's too tired or has been more tired lately, and then this becomes a barrier between the couple, and then we're no longer walking and naked and unashamed until that gets uncovered. So um, the problem there is if you're not naked and unashamed up to stage, you know, if you're not naked and unashamed up to stage six, if you're not freely talking about things, then this can become a very painful part of your marriage. So... We're not, so now we're focusing on stage 12. We're not focusing on stage four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You see what I'm saying? Voice to voice, communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're making it all about 
why is he not having sex with me? Mm-hmm. Instead of taking the time to go into voice to voice, what's going on between us, mm. you know? Um, mostly, again, because I said in part one, I'm talking to wives all the time. I'm not talking to men about this. Yes. What I'm hearing from wives most often is, I feel like he just wants to have sex with me. I don't feel like he wants to make love to me. Big difference. Big difference. So, you know, in that case, she's feeling like he just wants the physical expression of it, not the emotional expression of it. Thus, barriers come up between naked and unashamed. So if they can work that out, if they can work out, hey, because we're in such a rhythm now at this stage of our life, with all the kids and sleepless nights and tough work schedules, the man is often just wanting to reconnect with his wife. He just wants that ultimate satisfaction with his wife where he does feel super close to her through stage 12. Unaware that she's really needing stages, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine to get revved up to stage 12. So if that can be communicated, hey, when you're just going right to stage 12, I just feel like, you know, I'm being no mauled. Va- no value. You're not valuing yes. her um, feelings, her emotions. Her heart. It's becoming more selfish, you know, for the guy. That's how it feels to the woman. But again, she's only having a conversation in her brain with herself. True. And it happens because uh, once you talk to the guy, he may come out with, oh, that's why I understand now. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the way it is with every mm-hmm. guy. I'm just saying that maybe talk it out. You'll talk get some, out. you know, instead of assuming. Assuming assumptions are dangerous. Assumptions can destroy relationships and opportunities to mend relationships. Yeah, we call those vain imaginations. Yeah. When you're having a discussion about your spouse with yourself, mm-hmm. totally in your own mind, um, you're the judge, the juror, the um, prosecutor, and you're not having that discussion with him. I've done that before. Mm -hmm. It goes both ways. Um, Right. Now you're withdrawn. You've broken the unity between the two of you. You become united with your own imagination, and you're filtering his actions through that, through your own imagination then it's really not about stage 12 unity. It's what has fallen apart in your intimacy in stage four, five, six, seven, eight. So every marriage can use regular tune-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the, the, the 75,000 mile tune-up, the 1,000, uh, 1,200. Right. 125,000 mile tune up, mm-hmm. you know, 150,000 mile tune up. The years. more mileage that you have in a marriage, we need to tune up. And so, how do we know we need to tune up? Things are not running as smoothly. You know, I, I hear some noise when I'm driving the car. There's a click, click, click. Where's that coming from? Same with marriage. Mm, we're just not meshing. You know, I hear click, click, click. 
when I'm trying to talk to him. So the unity that we want in stage 12, we have the um, capability when we hear the click, click, click in the cars you're driving, so to speak. Check light engine. The Yes. We can go back and go, okay, what's off with us? We're not talking as much. Why are we not talking as much? He's calling from the job. He has to hang up. He calls. The kids are fighting. I have to hang up. Okay, we're not spending as much time in voice-to-voice. So let's purpose to spend more time there. And if we do that for several weeks, I think we're going to get back to stage 13 more naturally. 13? Stage 13. What would be stage 13? So stage 12 is naked and unashamed. You said stage 13, so I thought maybe Oh, you did meant- I? Oh, okay. Wait. I didn't realize I did. Okay, so no, stage 12. Okay. Thank you. But what would be stage 13? I got an idea. You do? For those who are listening, we would like to hear what you think stage 13 would be. If there were one. If there were one. Mm-hmm. Be creative. Mm-hmm. It'll be nice to hear. You know, put it in the comments or email me at info at champ180.com and let it let me know. And we can share that at some point. But that'll be interesting. So having gone through all of these stages and um, my husband and I, when we got married, um, we saved stage 12 and our first kiss. Our first kiss was at the altar. And our honeymoon night was the first time that we had expression of stage 12. That's awesome. It was. It was really, really wonderful. But let me tell you, that doesn't mean that the whole rest of our lives have been really, really wonderful. Right. So it's not like a, oh, and you'll just, you know, live happily ever after. Because you did it right. Exactly. (laughs) Um. There is a happily ever after, but the happily ever after is measured with exhaustion, illness, um, real crises Mm -hmm. with our uh, children who are now young adults, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, problems that they had while we were raising them, learning disabilities, um, you know, mental health kind of things Mm -hmm. later in life. Um, you know, work separation. My husband travels so much for his job. Um, I homeschooled. Uh, so both of us were really, um, a lot of our energy was being pulled by our responsibilities in the day. So the friendship and the foundation that we had totally got us through most of our marriage, and then we hit the huge tragedy of when our youngest daughter died. Mm -hmm. And we made it through that first year together, um, relying so much on the foundation that already existed. We weren't nursing our relationship. We weren't, um, we weren't able. We had, we were in survival mode, Right. you know, But because we had such a great foundation that carried us until it couldn't carry us anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like we had a really fat bank account Mm -hmm. 
And then we finally had withdrawn all of the bank account. So then we realized it's not like we sat down and said, huh, seems like we have an overdrawn account now. What should we do? It's just that each of us began to realize, "Mm, you know, there's a tune-up that's necessary here, you know. And so we have the uh, availability of this tool, of this information, you know, where I began to say to myself, oh, I just have to go back to stage one. What is it that I love about my husband? And let me just watch him. Hmm. Oh, I just love the way he interacted with the girls today. Mm -hmm. And man, I heard him on that terrible phone call. He was about ready to fire this guy. And then um, instead turned this around because he didn't want his his employee to lose his income for his family. You right. know, um, other things along the way that you know I just watch and get that recollection of man, he is a really stellar guy. Mm-hmm. But when you're caught up in that conversation with yourself, um. Oh, that stellar guy in that conversation with yourself can be like the worst person on the, on the earth. You know, I mean, that's how twisted you can get in your own mind when you are building up your own offenses. You know, the heart can be deceiving. We are deceitfully wicked yeah. and we will always see our pain through our own eyes. Right. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm fortunate in that, you know, I said in the last broadcast how our pastor said, if anything goes wrong in this marriage, you need it, it's your fault. (laughs) You know, ha, 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 LOL. But if I ever attempted to maybe vent about my husband to my friends or my peers, they're just like, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. You're married to a saint, you know, a good guy. You've really got a good guy. So um, they're not always good guys, though, no. right? A lot of times we marry people that we hope are going to be a good guy, but they don't turn out to be a good guy. So I would say true. if you've walked through 1 through 11 really purposefully, will you know whether they're a good guy or not? That's my question. You know, their flaws have already been shown. They haven't been able to keep all their cards to the chest. I think time will always tell. Mm -hmm. So you can tell more about somebody if you give it time because, you know, we all go through stuff, hard times and stuff, and you'll see how much they react to certain situations. So if you take... Maybe a month you may not see. You may think they may be the best person in a month because you haven't really saw any challenges, experienced any challenges that brought out a horrible character or attitude in that person Mm -hmm. that they're having a facade over. Rather than if you wait six months to a year, and by that time you're going to experience daily life stuff, events, tragedies, stuff like that, and you'll see that person respond or react to that situation. And then you'll start to see, wow, 
I'm surprised he reacted or I'm surprised she reacted that way. That surprises me. And you'll know. Like I said, time will tell. Always time is on your side. Because my daughters have dated somebody and they thought they were the person way too soon. And as parents, as much experience we have, and we can tell them until we're blue in the face that you need to wait, and they they don't want to because they're in la-la land, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't believe it's love. I believe it's infatuation at first. You know, you're blind by infatuation. And then they realize later on that's not the person they wanted to be with. Mm-hmm. If they would have just waited, mm. you wouldn't have been hurt mm. or less hurt. Yeah, it takes time for you to be able to see how the other person operates under crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, um, under uh, situations that were not of their own making. You know, like, for instance, when our daughter died, this was a situation that was life altering, but it wasn't um, our irresponsibility that created it, you mm-hmm. know? So that doesn't often, those situations don't often come up in the dating process, no. you know? So this is why being um, patient and purposeful is to your advantage. Um, but again, hey, there are plenty of couples that have, you know, gotten married two weeks after they met and are doing just fine today, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and in our case, when those big trials came along, um, I think that was in our early forties when our daughter died. Um, we had one of our children was diagnosed on the spectrum. So we had a lot of, um, oh, there's just a lot of stress in managing, that situation and then uh when when i underwent the emergency c-section for when our youngest daughter was born uh there were some there was some disease that was already uh that was already in my body but the surgery just sort of caused it to come up to the surface it just kind of caused an explosion Mm -hmm. you know And so then I was dealing with lots of health problems for the next, you know, 12 to 15 years. My husband was traveling a lot. He felt a great burden. You know, he's a true family man. So being separated from his family was hard on him. And et cetera. All the medical bills started coming in. You know, we were just under tremendous stress. Um, And so... All of these were a challenge to the marriage bond. And grief, men handle it differently than women. Mm-hmm. And I can see why, you know, it marriages don't often survive the death of a child. Um, so anyway, all of these, you know, together at one time over the course of five, six, seven years. Okay, there's some real strains on our level of of um, feeling united. But there was something that existed between us that was hard to be broken, even though we were doing our best <laughs> separately. I mean, I wasn't out 
I'm not suggesting that we were trying hard to break up. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we pulled into ourselves. I pulled into myself. He pulled into himself. We pulled into ourselves separately, Mm -hmm. which affected our unity. But if I want to feel close to him again, eye to body, eye to eye, voice to voice, hand to hand, you know, there's a natural progression that I can return to in order to build up the bond that needs a tune-up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, about every 20 year, every 10 to 20 years, I think, you know, we all need an adjustment, so to speak. But um, there was a time when I said to my husband with tears, like, because of my health, and, and it was yet another day where I had to cancel plans because I just couldn't, my body wasn't able to follow through um, with the plans that we had for that day. And I said to him with tears, I know you didn't sign up for this, you know. And he just took my hand without any reservation quickly, just took my hand. And he said, oh, yes, I did. This is exactly what I signed up for. <laughs> For better, for worse. That's awesome. And sickness and health mm-hmm. till death do us part. So if you have that person to walk through in life, through all of these, life is disappointing. Mm-hmm. It's just full of disappointment. Mm-hmm. It's devastating. Life sucks yes. a lot. But if you have that partner to travail with this, you know, as you're both trying to get to Mount Rushmore, people pay thousands and thousands of dollars for someone to get them to the top of Mount Rushmore. I mean, tens of thousands of dollars, right? So if you have a person to tra- to traverse through um, all the obstacles of life, and that person is someone that you have felt naked and unashamed with, <sighs> You know, um, we have Christ, of course, a brother who's uh, someone who sticks, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, but if you also have a life partner, whew, you know, man, what a relief. What a gift from God. Okay, so now we have to speak to those who listen and go, but I don't have a life partner. Or my husband doesn't treat me. My husband's not a saint. Or I was just going to say that that people are um, fortunate to have husbands like yourself mm-hmm. and a wife like mine that are great through battles, mm-hmm. great partners through the battlefields. Mm-hmm. Good way to put it. There are couples out there that may have a great spouse, one through twelve. But it's different when they go through a battlefield that they feel isolated, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and they can't, they don't, they feel like they're alone. Mm-hmm. The other person, the other person uh, withdraws, um, leaves, or abandons them mm-hmm. because of this hardship. You know, you went through a, a loss with your family. Mm-hmm. I know people who have had a loss in their family, in their uh, a child. And it, it it caused damage to their marriage, mm-hmm. end up divorce, or they just 
it was a long wait before they got back to where they were. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because they never experienced that hard of a. You know, we were talking right. We're I was just talking about you know wait a month a year you'll find out mm-hmm. in a relationship. But yes, marriages when you're married to somebody you have a lot more battlefields. You have you're married to your in-laws you're married to his or her family they got mm-hmm. their issues you got to deal with that mm-hmm. um when you have kids mm-hmm. you find out who you are in a different way you find yeah. about yourself and about your spouse i was impatient when we first had our first child mm-hmm. very impatient it caused her and i to my wife and i to um butt heads, butt heads a lot mm-hmm. you know because of that i was a jerk you know and thankfully, we were strong enough to go through that, mm-hmm. and it didn't separate us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. Marriage is a covenant. Mm-hmm. You take those battles, you work through them together, you communicate. You know, you use a 1 through 12 or 1 through 6 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are there for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Help go back to go back to the beginning. Okay, what can I do to do this, start this over? Re- you know, retune in this uh, this engine, get it going again. This old car, you know, uh, fix put spark plugs in it or put some fuel in it to get it going. You know, some of us need that for our marriages. They just get sit idle and just like allowing the crisis to dictate how they're going to run their marriage, mm. which they need to do the opposite, dictate how they're going to deal with that crisis together as a team. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, there's different seasons of a, of a marriage. You know, there's the honeymoon season, which can be years. Yes. That's the pre-kid season, right? And True. then there's the raising young kids. And then there's the Their raising choices. the middle kids. And then there's the raising teenagers where, wow, yeah. you know. Um, and usually when you're raising teenagers, you're also dealing with aging issues with your parents. You're dealing with career um career issues and then you know you, you enter into the young adult years um so there's a lot of different seasons and it seems like these seasons are you know in a time span of three to eight years or you know i kind of think of them as, in in terms of a decade but the next thing you know you have a really bad decade and what what happened but God is always offering redemption. He's always offering restoration. He's always offering new beginnings, you know. So you can uh, recreate or or, uh, restore the bond and end up with an even better bond because it's on top of the arrows. So... Remember, Eros love is erotic love. Yes. Um, phileo love is friendship love. Storge love is loyal love. That's like uh, David and Jonathan were so loyal to one another as friends. Um, and then finally is agape love, which is unconditional, which is naked and unashamed. So when you walk through those difficult decades, um, you now have... In your history together, Eros love, Phileo love, Storge love, and Agape love. So sometimes there's seasons where you just have to operate out of Storge love because 
life is giving you so many hits. Or there might be a season um, where you're just operating in friendship love, but you can always pull from all the four different sources or types of love uh, with one another, one another so that when you come back to restorative bond, then it's an even better bond than the Eros bond at the marriage ceremony because it's now been seasoned with phileo and storge and agape love also. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just thinking with the hard times mm -hmm. that a lot of people equate pain equals separation or pain equals destruction. Pain equals more pain, but understand that in a marriage, pain equals growth if you pain allow it. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't take that route. My grace is sufficient for thee, mm -hmm. for my power is perfected in your weakness. Okay, so suffering is the avenue of grace. We don't need his grace if we never suffer. But this world is a world of suffering. And so suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Mm -hmm. Again, in Gageo, character produces hope. Hope that will not disappoint mm -hmm. because he's put that earnest money down. I'm coming back for you and we're going to be in a different place in heaven where there's no tears, there's no evil, you know, it's no just no pain. So hold on. We're going to reach a place of no pain in heaven. And that's the way that Christ has wooed us. That's the covenant he has with us. So suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope will not disappoint. We rely on that belief, that promise to get us through. And if you can have the same trust in your mate that, you know, we're going through a hard time, we're going to persevere, we're going to gain character, and we have the hope that we're going to get through this with each other and we're going to get to the other side eventually um, where the suffering eases up for a while because it will always be followed by new suffering, you know. But then this is covenant love. This is for better, for worse, sickness and health, till death do us part. And till death do us part. That's number 13. Maybe 13 is when, if, if you both go at the same exact time, that would be, That'd be the ultimate 13. Yeah. That would be total unity. You know, <laughs> That'd be the best <laughs> for you, but not for your kids. No, to lose two at once. But I think they would think that's beautiful and they'd understand. Hopefully, you know, yeah, my childhood best friend, we've been friends since third grade, and we're in contact weekly, a couple times a week, all the time. It's great to have a friend who's been through every stage of my life. She has more history with me than my husband, and she lost her parents. Um, her, her father died on October 13th, which is my birthday. That's why I know the date. Um, her father died, and then her mother died unexpectedly, completely unexpectedly. Um, I want to say it was seven to 10 days later. 
total shock. Wow. Um, so they were heartbroken. Yeah. They had not even had a moment to breathe from their from the loss of their dad when their mom passed away. But they couldn't help. They looked on with such reverence. You know, to them, it ministered to them so much that their mom wanted to be with their dad. That's how they perceived it, you know, that she just wasn't, she just didn't want to live without him anymore. Mm-hmm. They'd been married 60, I think it was 62 years. Wow. They had been married. Wow, that's awesome. My parents are celebrating 60 years this September. 60 years together. One covenant, you know. Um, my brother's son was just married a few weeks back and we went to the, uh, I drove my parents to the, um, wedding. It was the first wedding of their 18 grandchildren. And, um, they were doing all the toasts at the rehearsal dinner. Um, his parents are celebrating 35 years in a few months, 35 years together. Um, his grandparents on his mom's side, the, the groom, the groom's grandparents on his mom's side had been married 50-something years when his grandma just passed away in the last year. His grandparents on his dad's side are my parents. They're celebrating 60 years. The bride, um, her parents have been married 33 years. Her grandparents were there too. They've been married more than 50 years. What, what a, wow, what a gift has been given to this couple of examples. Every example in their immediate family is an example of perseverance, character, and hope. And hope will not disappoint. And how rare is that the testimony? I mean, these kids didn't realize it. But, you know, it came out at the rehearsal dinner. You know, look, your grandparents have been married this long. Look, your parents have been married this long. Look, Grim, your grandparents and your parents. Wow. That's a gift that hardly anyone receives anymore in this culture. So they have a good example. Mm -hmm. Um, No pressure. But, you know, (laughs) they have a great example. They've seen people stay together. So then we must speak to those who don't stay together because I don't want them to listen to this broadcast and think I blew it. I didn't go through or they just, there's definitely not the bond. They, they sense my bond um, is painful, you know? Okay. So there are different ways that you can harm the bond in a marriage. Um, In the dating cycle, you know, there are individuals who are just in the dating process to defraud the other person, meaning they're just there to use the other person. Mm -hmm. They're in it for selfish gain. So they're pretending that they want a bond, but they really just want their needs to be met. They want someone to, to completely bond to them without them having to give equal distribution, right? They're not willing to make the same sacrifices. Um, Or you could um, be in a relationship with someone whose bonding mechanism is so damaged that it's irreparable. Let's say a predator. 
Okay, so a predator has no intention of bonding with you. A predator, um, the way that they deal with their own pain is to be the one who creates pain. So you won't hurt me, um, but I'll make sure that I hurt you so that you can't hurt me. Now, let me just back up real quick. Uh, you know, I tell teenagers in the dating process today in this culture, it seems like that uh, we're not out to prove I love you more than anyone else. And I love you for better, for worse. I, I, I accept, you know, there's not unconditional love is not the goal. In today's dating cycle, it's like who loves least? Because whoever loves least has the most power. So whoever can be hurt more is the person who's on the lower part of the totem pole. So it seems like in dating today, we're always trying to prove I could walk away easy, which is totally twisted because in the dating process, we should be trying to prove I'm here to stay. But instead, teenagers are dealing with these power trips and these, you know, uh, these mind games where the other is trying to prove to them that I don't care. I could care less. So that's cultural, you know, and there's still hope for that. But what I'm talking about with a predator is someone who's just incapable. And, and then there's also damage that comes in bonding when someone has a double bond, which is adultery or unfaithfulness. So they bonded to you, the wife of their youth, but they've also fallen for someone else or they're sexually involved, simply just sexually involved or emotionally involved or both. So that's a double bond. Um, is there hope for all of these conditions of when the bonding, the bonding process has really been damaged and gone astray? There is always hope in Jesus. So for the individuals who are, on the side of being damaged, go rather than trying to strengthen your bond with the other person or to reestablish your bond with the other person, focus on your bond with Christ. Purpose to become more bonded to Christ than you already were the day before, you know, spending more time with him, um, getting his love, his insight, and there will be restoration in your life, regardless of what happens in that earthly relationship. Sometimes um, a person literally has to escape a marriage in which there's been so much damage. Sometimes, um, many times, adultery can be overcome. Um we see David in the Bible had a double bond so much so, so that he killed his bond with uh, Uriah, which was Bathsheba's husband to the point of murder, you know, so that was some storge love that he destroyed um, without any recovery of it. So uh, David committing adultery yet, He's considered a, God, a man after God's heart. What? So that tells us that, yep, he was able to recapture and maintain his first love with, with God, despite 
you know, all the error and the damage that he created in his family to the nation is uh, to the nation um, as their king. You know, there was a lot of consequences to his decision of double bond, um, but there was rest- restoration, and his love for God did not fail. I I love the um, restoration with David and what he's done. He um, had a double bond. He committed adultery. To cover that up, he had his or he had Bathsheba's husband killed. Mm-hmm. So that's murder. I mean, that's making a wrong and a wrong and a wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and he was restored. Um, he was also the apple of God's eye, right? So what's to say that there's people out there that hey, I can do this and do that, and I'm I'm the apple of God's eye. Why can't I be that? Right. They're mocking God's grace. Mm-hmm. I think that's in. Uh, Galatians, um, do not be deceived. You reap what you sow. God's grace cannot be mocked. When you think of that word mocked, it's literally the word picture of thumbing your nose. Um, but David didn't get away with it. His child, child died. Mm-hmm. The nation suffered. God didn't mince words. What you've done, um, you have you have ruined the witness of me to the other nations. But God's always in the business of forgiveness and restoration. It's because David had to do something to receive that. He, um, he had to repent. Repent. That's it. He had to repent. And he had to ask for the Lord's grace to deal with the consequences of his decision. So um, there are plenty of marriages that recover from adultery, but there's a period, a long period of grace where the adulterer in the marriage has to endure um, their parent, I mean, their partner's mistrust, their partner's pain, their partner's sorrow and suffering that were because of that double bond. Yet they can restore and they do restore. I'm not saying every time that that happens, but the marriages, no, not the marriages, the people who will survive whatever damage has happened in their bonds of the past are the people who put their hope in creating deeper bonds with Christ. And Christ will direct their life in how to deal with the consequences of the damages, will restore them. As we know in scripture, he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Mm-hmm. But it's the bond to Christ that will determine that, not the bond to the person who has damaged or hurt you. That, that's good. That brings up this last point, Okay. Nita. Mm-hmm. We've learned so much, and I have. I've noticed that since we've been talking that um, you and your husband have gone through the uh, 12 stages of bonding. I uh, think that's so cool, and you experienced that. Mm-hmm. You mean that at, we we stayed in that progression and waited to stage 12 right. for our honeymoon? Okay. It's um, Sure, it took a lot of 
self-discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays we're inundated with um, temptations all over the, you know, billboards, uh, TV shows. Um, and the message that there's no reason why you shouldn't. Don't right. be ashamed. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the mixture of, you know, you got to test drive it, all that stuff, mm-hmm. all the lies. Mm-hmm. So also, in contrast, mm-hmm. I've noticed, you've been through that, I've noticed that my wife and I didn't know anything about the 12 stages of bonding when we got together, so we definitely didn't know anything about it. Um, Went out of order? Yes. Given my personality and my character back then, mm-hmm. I wasn't walking with Christ, mm-hmm. and it was all about me, what I can feed my flesh. You were bonded to yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Of course, There's that comes with, uh, anyway. And so I noticed that my wife and I, I didn't adhere to the 12 stages of bonding. We definitely, of course, eye to eye. For me, eye to body, you know, voice to voice. And, you know, moved up really quick to stage uh, 12 and even two years before we got married. But we endured a lot of stuff when we got married. Mm-hmm. You know, and I believe, my personal belief is, is what I've studied mm-hmm. in failed marriages, that I believe a lot of failed marriages is not be- because... Of the last few years, but because of what transgressed in dating. Yes. Okay. It's not just a lack of communication finances. We got a divorce because uh, we didn't communicate. We got a divorce because of infidelity. We got a divorce because of finances. Whatever it is, I believe the root cause, if it is at all, is not adhering to God's covenant and the way he created it. I believe people that do 1 through 12 or you know 7 through 12 before they get married puts a vulnerability or a risk. A risk, a curse, whatever you want to call it. You know, a curse, okay. Over the marriage, mm-hmm. maybe a judgment uh, from God, you know. And that's why there's, there's a lot of issues. As soon as you get married, I believe there's a lot of issues mm-hmm. just happening. And that's mm-hmm. what my wife and I did experience. We did experience hardships to the point where we almost got divorced mm-hmm. uh, six, six years into our marriage, you know, really separating. Mm-hmm. And then finally, you're going to laugh about this. I was a DJ at the time, okay. and we were just, she was to the point where you need to move out and live with your mom for, you know, for a time. We had two kids at the time. So and instead of leaving, go back and cleave to your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, so anyway, um, at the wedding, I was just, just, you know, I was already feeling crummy because my marriage is falling apart. Okay. And... There's a song that came on that I played, um, and everybody was dancing. It was uh, by Garth Brooks, The Dance. Mm-hmm. And so I, as I was listening to it, and every time I tell this story, it touches me and emotionally. And so I was listening to the, that song and just thinking of her. Mm-hmm. And I started getting teary-eyed mm-hmm. at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And so as a DJ, you don't want to show emotion, mm-hmm. you know. People mm-hmm. are like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to hide that before mm-hmm. the song was over, you know, because I had to talk right after that. Mm-hmm. But uh, driving home, I really thought about it, and there's something sparked in me, mm-hmm. you know. The bond. The bond. Was so I, re-established. It was. And I came home, 
And of course, my wife was uh, somewhat reserved. Now she was separating herself from, you know, because I was, wasn't the best husband at all. Mm-hmm. If we got divorced or if we had issues, this definitely wasn't her. Mm-hmm. And I told her, hey, I, I want to dance to a song. The kids were in bed. This was late at night. Mm-hmm. And I turned on the song on the stereo. And it was the dance. And we mm-hmm. danced in the middle of the living room. Hold each other tight. And ever since then, um, it's been great. I know that Garth didn't mend our marriage, but I know that God uses things. And that was a turning point that I experienced with uh, my wife. And ever since then, never looking back, it was... We, we talk about that often to people, um, but uh, all the credit goes to God. Yeah, he reestablished that bond for you. He did. That bond happened by a decision on your part. Mm-hmm. You got inspired through the dance, mm-hmm. and you determined to rebond with your wife. And a lot of times that's all it takes is just a decision. That concert that my husband and I were at, one of the songs that the artist um, plays, is it's entitled Starting Over. If you could have seen all the couples, and like I told you before, this was a middle-aged audience, all the couples, arm to waist, swaying, and then as soon as the song was over, turning, face to face, giving each other a big kiss, and you know, a big embrace, they all were taken by the song starting over. So all of us want the bond, a new fresh beginning on the bond by the time we get to this stage of our marriage. And it certainly is very possible. Our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And you guys, you and your wife, experienced that hope for the future again. We did. Bravo. It was awesome. It is. It is for the world to be able to say brokenness can be overcome. It can. Uh, Damage can be restored. New beginnings are possible every single day if we put our our hope in Christ. Yeah. It's true. Mm-hmm. And selflessness. Mm-hmm. So then let's just wrap this up. Covenant. We are created in God's image. God has been wooing us all along. Mm-hmm. So this dissection of a marriage relationship, for better, for worse, for sickness and health, is really just a representation of God's covenant love that he offers to each and every one of us as individuals. It was eye to eye. He formed us before we were ever in our parents' womb. He came up with the idea of us. He thought of who he wanted us to be. He brought our mother and father together purposefully to create us. He loved us before we were ever born. We were just an idea in his head. He was bonding with us eye to body, then eye to eye. There's that time in all of our lives just before we give our hearts or our minds and our thoughts and our body to Christ mm-hmm. when we are seeking Him. And then we have a moment where we realize 
wait, he's been seeking us. He's been wooing us. He's put the desire in our heart to seek him. He's chosen me too. So that's that eye to eye experience. Then comes voice to voice where we're praying to the Lord. We're starting to hear from him. We're learning his word. We're reading his word. We're trying to to understand and get insight from him. Voice to voice, he's bonding with us. Then uh, four, hand to hand. So then we decide to get baptized. What What is baptism? It's a public representation that I am choosing to follow Jesus. Hand to hand. Then we go into stage five and six, hand to shoulder, hand to waist. What does it really mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it really mean to be a follower through hard times, through tough times, through suffering? Can we, will we still walk with him? Will we still follow him during the hard times? That's stages five and six, discipleship, maturity in Christ. Stage seven, face to face. We all have those moments in our private worship time where we just have moments of awe, where we're just, you're so wonderful, God, where we feel like waves of love or it's just showering over us. All of us have had those moments. Sometimes it's at church, it's an altar call. You know, sometimes it's alone in your house with the Bible open on your lap, but we all have the face-to-face bond with Christ. Then hand-to-head, there's so many times he's just stroking you know, we're crying, we're crying out to him, we're in pain, we're suffering. He's just stroking our head. It's going to be okay. And so then we have that ultimate stage 12 uh, reunion with him in heaven. Mm. So as we talk about covenant, all of it, all of it is just a representation of the covenant love between God to, to each of us. It is amazing. It's the gospel. It is the gospel. Full circle. Amen. Nina, thank you so much for being here and doing this podcast on the 12 stages of bonding. Wow, it's amazing. I've learned so much, and I know our listeners have too. I appreciate what you've gone through and using your experience and your expertise and uh, teaching us about these stages that we can adhere to, use them, but not don't become in bondage to in it. bondage to it. Yeah. And there's no expertise in this. There's only living in it. True. <laughs> and so I just share my experiences, but I hope the information inspires, informs the listeners to return to the original bond with Christ. You have just listened to the 12 Stages of Bonding Part 2 with Nita DeRossier. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or would like more information on this topic, please contact us at info at champ180.com. Thank you for your time and listening, and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to the Champ 180 Podcast. I really appreciate your time and tuning in. Again, this is Adam Childress, but I'd like to leave you with a few things to uh, live by daily. And that is be thankful, be kind, believe in yourself, never give up, help others, cherish family and friends, do your best, listen with your heart, laugh often, and love lots. Until next time, God bless.